With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to Live Dharma Sunday. If you have called in to listen to this morning's broadcast, please note that all lines have been placed on mute to avoid background interference. If you are joining us from either the Bright Dawn Ning site or the Blog Talk Radio site, please note that it is not necessary to call in. If you're experiencing loss of audio, or the Blog Talk Radio player is not working properly, please refresh your page and hit the play button once more. It may take a few moments for your browser to complete the buffering process. Once again, welcome to Live Dharma Sunday, and enjoy the broadcast. Welcome, everyone, to Live Dharma Sunday for February 4th, 2018. Koyo Kobosa here. So very, very glad you joined us. Yes, we're into February. And in our neck of the woods in Central California, uh, we have a very mild and short winter. So spring is right around the corner. And for us gardeners, we're... uh, starting to get active, looking at catalogs and planning our uh, planting schemes and things. So I'd like to talk about a little aspect of uh, Dharma of plants um, to start today's show. Right now I have some seeds that are started indoors, uh, and um, I have a plant light set up fluorescent tubing, uh, they call it T5, 54 watt, and special plant lights. Uh, and, uh, and so I have the trays of onions and broccoli and tomatoes growing as little shoots right now. And water them every day, put the lights on, turn the lights off at night and so forth, and I'll transplant them later on into the outdoor garden oh in the middle of March maybe and uh, so I want to talk about cultivating one's mind field M-I-N-D not minefield like a dangerous wartime place but your own mind uh, treating it as a field as a as, as a a, a earth soil to as a place where seeds can be grown 
and how to cultivate it okay, in the garden sense where you have to uh, loosen up the soil okay, um, with a pitchfork. Maybe you turn the soil over to, get, to loosen it up, to get air in there and so to absorb water. And, um, and after you prepare the field like that, well, then it's ready to be planted with seeds. And it's such a miracle that a tiny little seed <laughs> will might grow into a big, luscious uh, tomato or even a watermelon. <laughs> uh, and, of course, we plant our seeds. Not all the seeds may germinate. You know. um, some seeds might be sown by the wind. You don't know what kind of seeds. So consider this in your own mind. Uh, you want to plant some good Dharma teachings, some Bodhi seeds, we might call them. You know, Bodhi means wisdom. So some seeds that they're just tiny, and if they germinate, they might become a big, you know, plant that has fruit, wisdom and compassion fruit. Okay. And uh, there's no guarantee, okay, because we have to just rely mostly on nature, the sun, rain, for the seeds to grow. Of course, once they start growing, uh, when you see those little green shoots come out of the earth, there's no more exciting time, I think, in the, in the gardening uh, stages when you, that first. So, wow, it's coming up. <laughs> there's something there, okay. And then you do your best to maybe uh, cultivate the weeds out and throw some water on there if it hasn't rained for a while, okay? And you don't have to, but if you could fertilize it and know what you're doing a little bit, that'll help. And maybe pruning, okay? So this is how if you see a seed that you planted of a particular Dharma teaching, a Bodhi seed, and then you see it, start to crop up in your mind field, say, hey, yeah, yeah, that's right. And it's growing. It's getting stronger. And you can nurture it. Okay. And then there's somewhere you didn't plant the seeds yourselves, but, oh, this happened. Okay. It came from somewhere. <laughs> and you say, oh, yeah, hey. And sometimes you don't know what kind of fruit it might have. Okay. Unlike in regular gardening, vegetable gardening, if you plant certain seeds, you know, they're, they're, they're bred to be heirloom, produce a certain kind of fruit. But sometimes you might see a strange thing coming up, okay? and you don't know what kind of fruit it's going to have. That's kind of exciting. And you want to nurture it and nourish it because it is something growing in your own spiritual life. So, wow, yeah, yeah, okay? And you got to take care of it, okay? Uh, so that's a tremendous, interesting uh, metaphor, I guess, or analogy where, you know, your own spiritual life is like a, you're cultivating your, your field, okay? get the earth and ground ready, okay? And then all kinds of things uh, in your Dharma garden can grow. So... Uh, I think that's uh, especially near springtime when things are happening like this. You say, hey, you know, 
yeah, did I prepare my, the least I could do is help to prepare the, the field, okay? cultivate the field. Okay, I want to introduce today's guest to give us a Dharma glimpse, Wendy Shinyo. She lives in upstate New York, and she was part of our LM2 group. So, Wendy Shinyo. Thank you, Reverend Coyle. You, Reverend. Uh, I'll be thinking of you in mid-March as uh, I probably won't even be able to start my seeds indoor yet because we don't plant until the end of May up here. Yeah. So um, I'm a little jealous, but okay, <laughs> we can deal. So today my Dharma Glimpse uh, is about spotting impermanence. And I take take you on a sort of a, I don't know, a stream of consciousness trip uh, through age, dementia, and meditation um, in, in, the, in the quest of spotting impermanence. Two weeks ago, we moved my mother-in-law to an assisted living facility from her townhouse. She's 94, and this has been coming for a long time, yet it just happened. In a whirlwind two weeks, myself and her three daughters decided it was time sketched out some plans, talked with her, then acted on the plans. Now, there wasn't much time for thinking. There were emotions, but not really second-guessing, just one foot in front of the other doing what needed to be done. In the years before, there was some worry about the eventuality of this day or the day of her passing. We talked, made some plans, Boy, plans aren't the thing in itself. About three years ago, we even toured assisted living facilities. Then we decided, okay, we could handle it for now. My mother-in-law hasn't really been independent for many years. Technically, she lived alone, but has been living in an assisted living situation provided by us for about 10 to 15 years. She quit driving many years ago. So my spouse, Renee Seo, took her shopping and to doctor and hair appointments. Eventually, she didn't want to shop anymore because she had trouble walking. Soon after that, she didn't want to come to any of our houses or get her hair done. Everything she needed was brought to or done in her house, including all family gatherings and celebrations. Renee even cut her hair. She wore a medical alert necklace for about 10 years or so. Then one year ago, we installed six web cameras throughout her house to keep a close eye on her as we noticed increasing memory decline and confusion, like forgetting to eat. We all lived close, but Renee and I lived only two miles away, so it was less than a five-minute drive. And So if we saw or spotted a problem on the cameras, we could jump in our car and be there quickly. But one day, soon after installing the cameras, we noticed that she didn't get out of bed. She didn't seem in pain. She didn't seem hurt, but she stayed in bed. When we got to her house to see what was wrong, she said she felt weird and like she was dying. She couldn't explain it. After a visit to urgent care, they found nothing physically wrong with her. No UTI, which is common in the elderly. No heart problems. So we questioned her about eating and found out she hadn't eaten anything for two days, except some yogurt and a muffin for breakfast the day before. She said, oh, she wasn't hungry, or she forgot to eat. 
We always had easy-to-prepare microwavable meals on hand since we had already told her she couldn't use the stove or oven. But she hadn't eaten those meals either. At that point, we hired someone to come to her house for two hours in the evening to make sure she ate and to fix her dinner. A very private and alone person, my mother-in-law didn't like the idea at first. But within a few weeks, she talked about how much she enjoyed chatting with her new companion over dinner. And, of course, she was eating. So last year, at this time, we all breathed a sigh of relief and continued as if this was the end of it. We knew it really wasn't the end of it and maybe just the beginning. But isn't that how everything in life is? We're either waiting for something to happen or something to stop happening. Then when it does, this is where our mind fixes. Our idea of life, our idea of things as they are, fixes right where they want, where we want them to fix until, until something else happens. In Reverend Gilme Kabosi's translation and commentary on the Heart Sutra, he says, there is no old age and death as such. Also, no end to old age and death. Old age and death are continuously there. In this actual world, there is no end to old age and death. Yet, there is none. There is no contradiction to this contradictory statement. This is a very difficult idea to comprehend, he says, because we want so badly to make sure that this is so. We want to put a period on everything, make, but there is no end. So every day, from morning to night, one thing after another. One thing after another. Is it the beginning or is it the end of problems? Is it the beginning or the end of good times? You know, when our loved ones age and we're with them every day, we don't notice the change. But it doesn't mean it's not happening. My parents, who are both past, lived in a town in Ohio where I grew up. I wasn't able to visit often, so many months would pass before I saw them. I remember driving into their apartment complex where at the beginning of one visit, and spotting my father standing at the door. He looked so old to me. I felt like he had aged five years in the month since I saw him. It was a real shock. It was like before he was my dad, the last time I saw him. Now he's some old man. What happened? When did it happen? It seems like that, doesn't it? Health shifts to illness relative wealth to lack, comfort to discomfort, vitality to old age, clear thoughts to confusion. You know, we know this, but we forget, or we try to forget through the ready distractions of our plugged-in lives. You know, we know everything is impermanent, but we're so focused on grasping at what we want to make permanent, what we want to put a period on, that we don't see the change, the shifting, the flow of life. Like how the word suffering became the bad news of Buddhism. Impermanence has that same flavor, that negative connotation. But we all know there is a good side to impermanence. Like when pain or sickness goes away. 
you know, you feel like you're going to be miserable forever, and then the pain stops or the cold goes away. In the book, The Science of Enlightenment, How Meditation Works, Shinzen Young writes that there is an alternative to pinning all hope of happiness on things that won't last. He writes, go ahead and pin some, even most of your happiness, on things that won't last. But be sure to allocate at least some time and energy for exploring the dimension of happiness that does last. The dimension of happiness that does last, he says, is the positive face of impermanence. He refers to this as the flow of creator spiritus that is always present, surrounding each moment of conditional happiness, embracing it from within and from without. To me, this is the heart of Buddhism, of meditation, of life. Self is not a thing. It is a doing, a process, a wave, a flow. Shinjin Young uses mountains dancing as an illustration of the perpetual flow of life. It's like my favorite Dogen story. He writes, but Shinjin writes, if we look at a mountain for 10 years, it doesn't seem to change much. However, if we we took a time-lapse video, a shot like each century for millions of years, then played the film back at regular speed, what would the mountain look like? It would look like streaming protoplasm, undulating with a graceful fluid motion, expanding here, contracting there. Young claims that when we focus on this actual what is, we become aware that impermanence is characteristic of all our experiences. But it's hard to catch a glimpse of, isn't it? When exactly does the one thing become another? When relative youth becomes old age, when we actually become sick or get well, when does that thing happen? (coughs) Excuse me. One of Shinzen Young's meditation practices he teaches in his unified mindfulness system is to look for and be aware of gone, like a sound fading a pain dissipating, an itch going away. This practice conditions ourselves to be aware of ordinary impermanence, not the big impermanence, but like death, but ordinary impermanence, which he refers to as the changeness of experience. If practiced consistently, Young says, you get better and better at spotting the everyday changeness of experience to the point that you actually may experience it is a kind of energy, like a like chi or the Hindu kundalini. He calls this flow of life the positive side of impermanence. He says this praxis develops an ability to experience things fully, to be the itch, to be the ache, to be the smile, rather than these things happening to you. Being the experiences in life requires some concentration, some clearness of thinking, and equanimity, not declaring it bad or good. He says flow, spirit, or chi are what happens to the ordinary senses when they are experienced with extraordinary concentration, clarity, and equanimity. 
He says, God is what the world looks like when experienced with radical fullness. You know, back to my mother-in-law, I frequently catch a glimpse of this positive flow of life in the midst of observing her and some of her fellow travelers at the assisted living facility. Their diminished memories and loose grasp on time appears to put them directly in the flow of now. You know, my mother-in-law may not know what day it is or even what season, but she still appreciates her Prokofia playing on the CD player. She enjoys her walks around the facility with us and fully experiences her meals. You know, the day before, the days before my mother-in-law's move into assisted living, she was, of course, filled with nostalgia and grasping at the memories surrounding her in her townhouse. But two days, only two days after moving into the facility, she told us she couldn't even remember her townhouse. As she contentedly chatted with us in her comfortable room, listening to Beethoven. Every day, from morning to night, one thing after another. May it be so. Gasho. Yeah, gasho indeed. I can really empathize with a lot of that because Adrian's mom, so my mother-in-law, uh, she lived here at the course gold for most, you know, so many years, several years, and just as usual, you know, right now, they really live in the now. Huh? And uh, I I think, the, do they call it retrograde amnesia or something where short-term memory is uh, diminished? Long-term memory, it, you know, is better. But so sometimes uh, my mother-in-law would repeat herself. She didn't. She forgot that she just said that or asked that five minutes ago. Okay, she'd say she'd be sitting there and she'd look out the window and said, "See all the land and our property." Hey, do you grow anything? Then I'd, I'd answer and say, "Yeah, we have a vegetable garden or flowers or whatever." Then five minutes later, she said she'd be looking around and notice out the window. She said, "Hey, do you grow anything?" And uh, so one time I thought I'd you know have a little fun with this and. So I looked out, and when she asked the question, I said, yeah, I grow uh, rocks, you know, because rocks and boulders, because you look out the window, and we have a lot of boulders on our property. And so I thought, well, I was teasing her. I said, yeah, I grow, I grow rocks and boulders. And, and by golly, you know what she said? She said, hey, pretty good. You don't have to fertilize them. I sure got slapped down. I was trying to... <laughs> That's my favorite story. <laughs> but anyway, I thought of a really, I don't know where this statement came from. It was in a service book, very old service book, uh, Japanese-American Shin Buddhist service book. But it said, uh, immortality is hidden in transiency. Wow, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how to unpack that statement, but uh, you have a feel or a sense of what that means in terms of all the expressions and topics about the body of impermanence um, you know, <laughs> as such. Okay. 
the relationship between the absolute and the relative, the infinite and the finite. Uh, that's a nice phrase that <laughs> can be pregnant with a lot of seeds in there. Um, and after all, there's a saying that says, death is the mother of beauty. Uh, no periods, <laughs> you know. Uh, because of the impermanence, then we really look at that flower, appreciate the beauty of it right now. And people too, each moment, make it as authentic and real a moment as we can. You know, tomorrow's not guaranteed to anybody and so forth. One thing after another, continuous change. Huh? No unchanging entity as such. Um, the oneness, the N-E-S-S. You know, sometimes we look at these uh, interesting phrases and words. The ness in oneness or as such. You know, no unchanging entity as such. Okay. How do you know a river? You know, I think the Buddha and also in the Buddhist literature in general, there's a lot of metaphors for or analogies for the self. You know, who, what is the self? Who am I? Okay. Uh, the candle flame, a river. You know, they're dynamically changing. And <laughs> so they're really verbs. But... W- we consider them nouns as though they're unchanging, stable entities. But if you look at a flame, obviously it's changing every nanosecond. It's burning and a river is flowing. You can never step in a river, same place. But, you know, the river, okay? And sometimes we say, well, I want to study this river. So we get a pail of water out of the river and we look at the pail of water. But that's not the river. That's a pail of water, you know. Uh, so there are all kinds of uh, uh, aspects about how do we know things. Not just what what is the reality of things, but then how do we know them? Always coming through our own filters, and we we need the labels and language. Very powerful tools. But the mistake is if we confuse the labels that we put onto reality for reality itself, the dynamic flow that you cannot, <laughs> you have to experience the river. You know? When we think about, you know, when a young person, especially babies, they change real quick. You know, when we think about the circle of life, uh, it's a circle because, you know, when the young baby can't take care of itself and you have to feed it, take care of it, and it will soil itself, okay? And as you get old age, uh, you have to take care of them too, okay? Because it's like a circle. But when they're young, they're growing so, the change is so fast. So, oh, you got big, okay? You can see them growing so fast physically. And on the other end, what what we, what sometimes is called a slippery slope. That that slippery slope is it can be pretty steep. That means that it can deteriorate a lot in a few months in physical condition. You know. So oh, you know, 
So, so far, so good, but, you know, change could happen very quickly in terms of health problems and so forth. And, of course, sometimes we talk about a sandwich generation uh, where you have to take care of your your children, your family, and then then after they're grown up, and then your responsibilities start with your aging parents, okay, because of our all of our health uh, uh, field with that our lifespan is increasing and so forth, and people are more active, okay? Uh, today's 60 is last last time 40s or something like that, you know, those kind of sayings, and that's true, you know. Um, but we have no, we have no, uh, as, as we get older, when we're, say, young adults even, we have our grandparents, we have our parents, you know, uh, ahead of us, you know, they're buffer generations for, for the, you know, but when we, our grandparents are gone, then our parents are gone. Hey, we're next. We have no buffer generation. Okay. And a lot of times when parents pass away, you know, friend, my, my, my friends and they become orphans, their parents are physically have passed on. Well, you joined an unwanted membership and joined the unwanted club membership of being an orphan now, you know, and no buffer generation, okay. Uh, These are potential bodhi seeds, I think, huh? These realizations, okay, broaden our perspective, you know, takan, we call it in Japanese word, means wide perspective, Wide means philosophical, or it means, well, just, you know, broad, so you could see huh? uh, in context, broader and broader context. Never stop. It's always backing up, okay? You don't have to get it. So, oh, now I get that teaching. Aha, wait a few years. <laughs> okay, so you don't have to say, oh, now I get that teaching. We gotta keep on always getting that teaching. Well, that's all for today's broadcast. Till next time, indeed. Keep going and you have a wonderful day. Thank you. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.